At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zuck. Jason has been an intuitive psychic medium since 2004. This show will cover a variety of topics relating to spirituality, mediumship, self-improvement, and intuitive guidance. Whatever interests you, remember that we are all here to share and learn. Sit back and get ready to socialize with the Social Psychic. Hi, I'm pleased to have Mr. Will Johnson as an interviewee today for the Social Psychic Radio Show. Uh, Mr. Johnson has been the director of the Institute for Embodiment Training, a teaching school in Costa Rica that views the body as the doorway, not the obstacle to real spiritual growth and transformation. Mr. Johnson's the author of several books, including Breathing Through the Whole Body, The Spiritual Practice of Rumi, and Eyes Wide Open. He teaches a deeply body-oriented approach to sitting meditation at Buddhist centers around the world. It's with great pleasure that I have. Mr. Johnson, welcome to the show. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good, Jason. And I know you're appearing from Costa Rica today, which yeah. is one of the most beautiful places on this planet. Uh, I'd like to have you share with us what prompted you to live in Costa Rica. Uh, you know, my wife and I have lived in Canada for 40 years now. We lived out on the West Coast on Vancouver Island. But still, as you age, it gets cold. And the weather on Vancouver Island would be uh, October through June. A lot of rain, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, cool weather, often you no know, snow. But still, we finally decided that, hey, our kids are growing up. And we had the vision to come down here. We could come down and live in a place that would really support the practices that, uh, that we do that are very deeply body-oriented. You know, where better to, to open one's felt nature than in big nature? And it really is like that uh, down here. So we feel very, very fortunate to come down here. And the vision was to come down and build a, uh, a retreat cottage that uh, a students of mine who are ready to enter into very intensive maybe three-week retreat could come down and, uh, you know, and partake of that. So it was a way that we could, frankly, have a very, very nice life uh, in warm weather. And also I can continue working with people. I would say you're following your path. And that's what I'm, I believe heavily in that. I think if you love and you're passionate about what you do and you have the opportunity to pursue it and make it happen and manifest it, then that's true success, more important yeah. than anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you know, and we do. We feel that way. Both my wife and I, you know, like bloodhounds, got a scent of something early on. And I'm not saying that I didn't lose that scent many times in my life, but it's kept us following something, following something, pursuing something. And here, you know, here we are. So uh, ostensibly, we're doing something right. How did you decide to write your book, Cannabis and Spiritual Practice? Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a good, uh, question, uh, Jason. 
the short answer to that is that it would have felt cowardly for me not to have written it. Now, to go on about th that a little bit, I've been a, I, I've been, I'm something of an anomaly or an outlier in the Buddhist world. I've never formally affiliated myself with any one particular tradition or practice and moved up, uh, you know, the ranks of that particular uh, tradition or lineage. Uh, I've been very deeply enamored of the practice of sitting, which is the common denominator to all the, you know, many different forms of, uh, uh, you know, of Dharma practice. And I have this background in uh, somatic practices. Specifically, I was a, a student of Ida Rolfs in the late 1970s, and she was really an extraordinary person whose vision of Rolfing is frankly more akin to what Dharma practice is all about than the kind of glorified form of physiotherapy that it developed into. And she knew that it would work that way, but she didn't want people to lose sight of this knowledge that if you can play with upright balance, which is what the Buddha tells us to do when we sit down on the cushion and start letting go, something starts transforming. She would say evolutionary energies would be, uh, you know, would be awakened. So I've been able to bring that quality into the Buddhist world. The Buddhists are some of the most open-hearted, good people going. The teaching that's out there now, uh, you know, I'm very, uh, um, I'm very transparent about this. I view it as very, very still and frozen. The, you know, the Dharma world kind of painted itself into a corner of frozen stillness, which is antithetical to, to a live bodily process. So in a sense, I brought some of my understanding from the somatics world into the Dharma world that it's all about body. It's all about awakening body. It's all about uh, freeing uh, the breath so breath can actually expand and contract through the whole body. And when uh, Buddhists that have been practicing for many, many years get this, it can be uh, revelatory to them in their practices, and it's much easier, and they go way, way deeper. Now, uh, what I'm talking about here is the body. For me, uh, the Dharma practice is about awakening body in all of its processes and all, all of its feeling states. And that's what marijuana did for me. You know, that's what cannabis did for me. It woke me up. As I say in the book, uh, you know, cannabis wakes the unfelt body up. And that has to be a starting point for any kind of uh, extended Dharma practice. So, you know, whether you use cannabis or not, you know, you know I make it clear in the book I'm not encouraging or, uh, everybody to go out and you know, use cannabis in their practice, but uh, every retreat that I teach in the, in the Buddhist world, there's been at least someone who comes up and kind of pulls on my sleeve a little bit, kind of teary-eyed, Mr. Johnson, can I talk to you privately? And they share how they've been, you know, they use cannabis and it works for them for, for whatever reasons. But because of that, they're exposed to a great deal of shame criticism, ostracism from their community. And I, you know, so, you know, I talked to these uh, people about, you know, something doesn't matter what, if you use something like that or not, what matters is what you're doing, what, how you're doing, what you're doing when you're doing it. And, uh, you know, so in the book, I go into very specific practices that if cannabis is an ally in your life, uh, you know, then here are some real practices to do now. As I said, uh, starting off with this question, it would have been cowardly for me not to have, you know, written this book. 
And e even though I know that even the mention of this is probably going to uh, ruffle some uh, traditional uh, Buddhist feathers. Uh, you, you, know, we'll, we, you know, we'll see what happens, but you know, times are changing. This simple plant can be used to great benefit and effect uh, uh, for health reasons, for creative reasons, for spiritual reasons. It doesn't work for some people. Some people can get in trouble sure. with it, but just because some people get in trouble with it does not mean that there should be a prohibition for the people for whom it does seem to support our practices. Well, what I think is interesting when you mentioned controlling your breath, when I do readings as a, as a medium or as an intuitive psychic, I take three deep breaths, and I just started doing that in the last two years, even though I've been an intuitive psychic for probably my whole life. I just, in terms of understanding myself with this stuff and working with people, Centering the breath, to me, um, helps ground myself. And it also opens up whatever it is that I have that I can connect and read people's energies. That's just from my level of understanding on things. So the fact that you mentioned that in terms of your own practices makes me very impressed. A lot of people, I feel, when you're stuck in traffic, for example, and you're doing the grind here in the States, and you're, and you're dealing with so many stressful situations, whatever it is, I feel like if you take a couple of deep breaths and ground yourself, your body has its automatic system of, of achieving that inner you know inner peace that can give you that opportunity to not be razzled by everyday situations and when people meditate i've told people and i'm not this grand you know, I'm, it's not like i i know all that there is to know about meditation i, I consider myself a practitioner because i'm learning as i go when people meditate they think you've got to lock yourself in this location that's isolated from everybody and you have to achieve this i guess you could say a, a mindset where nothing's disturbing you and i'm like no you can meditate while in traffic at a light you can meditate while you're on the phone with somebody you could literally take a, a deep breath and and just let yourself for a few seconds even and i was wondering if you have had those type of experiences that you've told your students or people you work with in your own practice what you're drawing attention to is the fact that we live in a culture that holds its breath that, that we're frozen. And if we really pay attention, if we really examine our body, not trying to change it and open up and awaken, but it really starts with a very, very honest assessment of what's real, which is another thing that I enjoy cannabis for because it gets you in touch with what's real at a deep somatic level. What most people are going to have to acknowledge is the fact that they don't breathe. And we breathe with just a fraction. You know, we're, we're tensing the musculature uh, throughout the whole body and very much in the diaphragm, you know, which is the primary muscle of, of breathing. Now, it's interesting, Jason, my, my uh, understanding and observation at this point is that people have to do that to function in the consciousness that passes as normal in the world. That, uh, you know, we're in the world, we're functioning, you know, oh, there's other people, everything is separate it's a consciousness of separation but when you just start paying attention to your breath just like you say two deep breaths i remember 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 to breathe ah uh, ah suddenly there very very quickly and directly it can start uh, you know coming you know coming back home but you know this whole issue of the breath we're we're so out of touch with our breathing you know thank god that the breath continues automatically or we'd all be dead in, uh, <laughs> you know, in 20 minutes. Correct. But if we can, you know, waking up 
to me, waking up is a, you know, a recognition and a realization of, oh, kind of unconsciously, I'm sleepily doing things like I'm tense in my body. That doesn't feel very good. Oh, that tension in my body, there's no breath that's happening. That seems questionable. And oh, then finally getting that that tension in the body that stops breath in its tracks is also fueling the out already out of control creative thoughts in the mind. And, you know, what, what we're after is just this very natural place of just being present, relaxed, aware and awake. Which I think can make such a difference for so many people in our society. I would say that so many, anyone who tells me that they can't meditate, I'm like, anyone can meditate. You just have to learn what works best for you under the circumstances and individualize it for yourself. Yeah, yeah, you do. And, and look, there are many, many, many different forms and approaches to this uh, uh, you know, practice that we call meditation. Now, most of them, in a formal sense, have the common denominator sitting down, either cross-legged on cushions or in a chair and a kneeling bench. And I, oh, I'm a, uh, uh, I, I'm a big proponent of the value of formal practices. Having said that, let's say I sit for an hour a day and, you know, open to some of the very deeply body-oriented practices that we've been alluding to here so far. It's wonderful. It's almost like I need to do that every day. If I don't do that, it's kind of like I've missed my meds for that day, right? That, you know, it has an effect uh, and, you know, helps me get through the day. But having said that, the rest of the day is also every bit as valuable uh, a succession of moments for practice as your formal practice when you're, you know, sitting in your chair on your, uh, on your cushion at every moment in our life, our breath is here. The sensations of the body are here. The visual field is here. Sounds are here. And that's as true whether I'm sitting here in, uh, you know, in my place in Costa Rica or riding a subway in Manhattan. Uh, and, you know, what, we've, what I've found is, you know, wherever we are, if we can just open, relax and open into the reality of the moment, the visual field as it is. Really let yourself see it. Everything out in the periphery is almost like uh, you turn random visual field into kind of a mandala, listening to every single sound, not blocking out the ones that we find obtrusive or we're not interested in. Just letting sound, the reality of sound, be heard in this moment. And then, of course, the awakening of sensations throughout the entire body. And you know, we can do that all the time. And uh, to the degree that I don't do that, that I forget 10,000 times a day, like anybody else, I forget. I have to remember and come back, but in those moments of forgetfulness, when I wake up to it again, you know, once you open the door on this stuff, you can't pretend that oh, I'll just close it again and go back to sleep. Uh, once I awaken to the fact that I've gone to sleep again, ah, there is the awareness of, oh, there's constriction in the body. I've gone into my thoughts, the breath has been, uh, uh, you know, held back. So this to me is fundamental to Dharma practice, but what also has to be said is that for some people, perhaps for many people, the use of cannabis, you know, there's some things you can talk about that you have to, you have to be aware of, but the use of cannabis can enhance exactly what I've just spoken about, this opening 
to a visual awareness of what could, what's here to be seen. Hearing, everything is here to be heard. The far off sounds, the close sounds, loud, soft, near, uh, near, far. And then very much an awakening of this shimmery, uh, uh, tactile feeling presence of, uh, uh, you know, of the body. The, you know, the caveat with cannabis use in these practices, you can also get lost in your mind, which has its own value in a, uh, in a way so that you become aware of what, of the racket that your mind is running. Absolutely. Definitely. And and find out where your, where your hooks are. And you you can work with that and deal with that. But ultimately, uh, for me anyway, the huge benefit of cannabis as a potential supporter of, you know, I'm going to say right here of Dharma practice is that, you can transform that place where you're lost in thought to a place where you're present in awareness. It actually almost comes from the same place. You've got to find that place, literally find a location where thoughts are located and realize it's all jumbled up there. It's uh, compressed and then feel into that place. It expands open through the body. Ah, there, my eyes are open again. I can see the visual field. Sounds are here. And we become very, very present and deeply aware of what's actually going on right now in the present moment. I wanted to ask you for our audience, because when you mentioned Dharma practice, some of them may not know what that is. Can you give a little further explanation about that? Yeah. Um, it, you know, the Dharma is the teachings of the Buddha. And Dharma practice, you know, people who uh, think of themselves either formally or informally as Buddhists, uh, uh, perhaps even take it a step further and start meditating, go to... Uh, different kinds of retreats and different kinds of uh, traditions are essentially doing what might be called Dharma practice. So okay. Dharma practice to me is just spiritual awakening. Okay. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to have a, a exclusively Buddhist connotation to it. Okay. When I looked at your book, I noticed that you mentioned under your title, The Ecstasy of Shiva and the Kama Buddha. Uh, I wanted to ask what made you pick those parameters? for your title as a subtitle of your book? Yeah, uh, you know, in a sense they're, they're, they're different, but they're also kind of yin and yang, they're reflections of each other. From my perspective, I like both. Okay. Now, for me to do very traditional Buddhist practices, sit down on the cushion, just start focusing on the breath, perhaps passing my awareness through my body, uh, activating sensations. Uh, it, it, it's a practice of focusing on an object of intention. You can go into very deeply concentrated states uh, that are very clear and sharp. Uh, to do that kind of practice where you focus intensively on an object, let's just talk about breath. Let's just talk about, let's not talk about body right now. Because most Buddhist practices are about the breath. You sit down, you breathe, and you focus, you become aware. Uh, very fine focus on the process of breathing. And then there are a number of breaths come in, go out, come in, go out, you're there. And then what happens, you realize 10 seconds later that you're off on some kind of random thought. Right? So what you do at that moment, ah, you refocus, you bring your attention back to the object of your focus and begin again. So for me, those kinds of practices of focusing, becoming aware, and then bringing back to a place don't work 
so well with cannabis. And so it, when, when I teach in the Buddhist world and I teach in that, uh, uh, that way, I definitely follow or adhere to the uh, precept, uh, you know, not to use any kind of mind-altering substances. Okay, and it can take you to a very calm place. That's the calm, the quiescence of Buddha. Shiva is a different story altogether. Even though Shiva awakens in a complementary way uh, to which, uh, you know, Buddha awakens. But Shiva is not so much about uh, walking along the pathway of the mind. Oh, I'm focusing. My mind's focusing in. Ah, I've lost awareness. I'm focusing back. It's not so much about the mind. It's about awakening the uh, you know the lived uh, dynamic experience of the body. Now, you know, what I'm getting at is something very uh, specific here, Jason. On every part of our body, down to the smallest cell, uh, and probably smaller. We may be talking about some kind of subatomic cellular motion here. Uh, but what happens there is a kind of minute tactile sensation, like little pinprick blips of sensation and and there's billions of them all through the body when we are lost in our minds we're totally unaware of this and this is you know the my observation about western culture is we're uh lost in our minds and out of touch with this feeling presence of our body so and to stay out of touch like that we have to exert a great deal of attention so uh you, you know what i'm uh, you know, visioning through Shiva, Shiva is about awakening these body energies, not only awakening these body energies, but also realizing that, it, you know, it's not just a, a gentle hum and a buzz you feel. That's, that's the initial awakening that occurs through the body. But then when you continue just to keep allowing and letting go, oftentimes the body, ah, just naturally wants to start making these spontaneous movements altogether natural. The only reason they don't happen is because we hold them back. That somehow our mind thinks, oh, you know, humans aren't supposed to do that kind of thing. But, uh, well, you know, when we start, uh, you know, letting go in these ways, sometimes, you, you know, even in the sitting posture, ah, the body can sway, it can move. We certainly, you know, look at, look at the world of music and dance in the last 20 years. It's amazing. You know, the liberal, yeah. it's amazing. You, you know, I, I I, I actually have thought we have never, ever seen a spiritual awakening on uh, on the planet that has been so universal because of technology, where it isn't just in one little part and then gradually moves. I mean, it's just so fast. But, uh, uh, you, you know, it's happening on such an unprecedented scale. Now, uh, going back to Shiva, Shiva is about awakening the body and allowing uh, the energies of the body, what I call the current of the life force, just to start moving and moving through. And the liberation of that current is extraordinarily healing, extraordinarily healing. Now, Shiva, as I say in this book, uh, the great God Shiva, the story around him is really astonishing. Uh, uh, legends down to this day, Shiva and his uh, partner Parvati, they would uh, make uh, a bang mixture. They would make a drink out of cannabis. And, and the legends down to this day, Shiva would drink it. And the next thing he knew, he, uh, his body was coming alive. And his body was making spontaneous movements out of which he brings the body-oriented 
practices of yoga and dance to the planet. So clearly there is something about cannabis and the right amount and for the right person and in the right environment that can be uh, extraordinarily liberating and, uh, and opening. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of people are going to use cannabis, do some of these practices. I mean, they, they will take you extremely high and high in a way that's, that's even different from getting a great uh, uh, high buzz, you know, taking it down into almost a different uh, dimension uh, of, of awareness. And if that's what you're interested in, here are some ways to do it. You know, it's interesting that you're describing this because one of the things I'm thinking of is the movement to legalize recreational use of marijuana and how it's been successful in several of the U.S. states at this moment. I'm not sure what its status is in Canada. I haven't, I'm not too aware, or in Costa Rica, for example. But I wanted to ask you a little about that because for me it's yeah. fascinating to think in my lifetime that there's a movement now to recognize the benefits of marijuana in the sense that it can really – help a lot of people, even recreationally, you know, not counting the medicinal aspects of it, but just those who engage in it recreationally. And I want to ask you what your opinion was on that. And if you think that that's something that can help society as, as a whole, get more in touch with their spiritual side over time, if it does become a more acceptable practice that people can engage in. Yeah. Well, it, again, it depends on, uh, <laughs> how you're doing what you're doing when you're doing it, that, uh, uh, you know, cannabis can absolutely be used for, uh, you know, some of the kind of spiritual, the really surrendered spiritual practices I speak of in this book. It also for some people can just make them very sleepy, uh, get them kind of stuck and, uh, in a sense, dumbed down rather than, than awakened, uh, up, uh, uh, I, I personally believe that people should be able to do whatever they want to do so long as it doesn't harm themselves or anyone else. And so we're starting to see the legalization. You know, I mentioned at one point in the book a conversation I had with a uh, Unitarian minister on the East Coast who very directly asked me whether I use cannabis in my practices. We got into a very interesting conversation about this. Uh, you know, he said there were, there were a number of uh, people in his community that really wanted to put out a statement promoting the benefits of cannabis for, I think it was uh, 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 medical, creative, and spiritual uses. And as he said to me, he said, you know, well, the difficulty is because of the prohibition, there aren't any protocols out there for if we're going to use this, uh, hey, try this, you know, try doing this practice and see what, what happens and, and how it, uh, you know, how it affects you. So, you, you know, you know, legalization is wonderful. I never thought I was going to live to see the day, right? <laughs> that, uh, that you know, this, that this would uh, uh, that this would happen. Uh, Uruguay, I, I don't, I think I'm correct about this. Was the first country to completely legalize. Canada is in the process of legalizing as we speak, and uh, you know, my sense that's going to be a tipping stone because uh, it is. It's craziness. It's craziness to outlaw uh, a plant of this planet. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree. Uh, uh, it, 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 you know, it, it just because uh, maybe maybe people start waking up a little bit or other people uh, get dumbed down. 
it's just nuts. You, you know, between you and me, though, I'm, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm jaded enough to think that what's going to happen, Canada will legalize, uh, you know, in this year. And I think probably two years from now, Canada will release a report that it's made so much money on legalized marijuana. It's not going to be a shift in morals or anything. It, it's, you know, these other countries are going to say, okay, we're, go we're going, yes, this is, this is <laughs> a people. You know, and, and, hey, if, it, if that's the reason, uh, hallelujah. Hey, if it works towards reducing the deficit, I could see it appealing to the United States at some point in the future. So, absolutely, absolutely. For sure, for sure. And it is, it's a huge economy there that is, you know, in some ways the governments are probably really, you know, don't like the fact that there's this, this shadow economy out there that's beyond their control and their revenue coffers. But that's that's the world. So, uh, so be it. I certainly applaud uh, the day and I hope it comes sooner than later when uh, you know, this is legalized and, you know, we, we it, you know, this would be my vision that we become a society that learns how to use this uh, extraordinary little plant, uh, uh, it, 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 you know, it, it, in such a beneficial way for our, our, our spiritual being, for our emotional well-being, for our, our physical uh, well-being. Absolutely. I, I totally understand that. I think if something can help help an individual with calming themselves, uh, treating things such as anxiety, and giving you the ability to improve your connection to your own internal spirituality, as well as being, you know, increasing your creativity. I don't see anything negative to that, as long as it's being done in a way where it's not interfering with society at whole, and as you said, not causing any harm to anyone else. Yeah, I mean, I mean you nailed it. And, you know, that's certainly what it was for me, uh, Jason. It was, it, now, uh, you know, I first started, uh, you know, smoking uh, pot in 1966, which sounds sort of early on, but I was already in university. You know, it wasn't like today where most high school kids have at least been around it if they haven't used it. Uh, and there, there are only about, a, I think, about a dozen guys at this all-male university that I went to that were experimenting with this unusual substance. It was God's medicine for me from from the get go, and uh, what it started uh, getting me in touch with, and opening me to, and starting to become aware of in myself. Uh, uh, you know, I'm extraordinarily uh, grateful, and it has been that kind of ally for me through my life. That's great. I wanted to get back to your book because I'm, I'm I want to get your take on it as the author. You have part one as the calm mind of Buddha. And one of your early chapters, you talk about the focusing of awareness and the calming of the mind. And I wanted to see if right. you could explain to our audience a little about that further in terms of the concept. Yeah, you, you know, and I, I, I alluded to that, uh, you know, a few minutes back. Uh, a lot of what traditional Dharma practice is about, and let's talk about in a formal sense, sitting down perhaps in a chair here in the West, perhaps on cushions, cross-legged or kneeling. You know, it doesn't matter. There are certain principles that really come from the Buddha. First of all, you want to sit with the spine erect and upright. You know, that allows uh, energies to flow you know, more freely and allows energies that may have been dormant to start awakening. So it's kind of playing with balance as you're sitting. 
And then the primary uh, focus of the practice is just start watching the breath. We're breathing in, we're breathing out. I mean, it happens automatically. We never, ever focus on it. We never, ever watch it. So this is the focusing of awareness. In the Buddhist world, the primary object of focus is going to be the breath. You can feel it uh, moving in and out of the nose, perhaps, right? You can sometimes, even in a body that's very frozen and still, there's going to be some expanding and contracting motion in the belly. Some schools focus on the movement of the belly. Some uh, schools focus on the touch of the breath. But it's the focusing of awareness on a very precise object. And then, as I was saying, how the practice proceeds is uh, inevitably because you also become aware of what goes on all the time and mostly goes on all the time is we go off on these random excursions of crazy thought. So I'm focusing, I've got three, four good breaths, and wow, and there, there I am. And the next thing I know, I wake up 10, 15, a half a minute later on this wild fantasy or something. So I start refocusing. But that's what I talk about, is the focusing awareness. And the benefit of that kind of very precise, narrow focusing of awareness is that the parade of thoughts in the mind starts slowing down. Eventually, may take hours, may take days, may take weeks. It starts slowing down, and the mind becomes much calmer. And there is great, great benefit, uh, you know, to to doing that. Again, that for me is foundational, and I like to see people have that foundational mindfulness practice before they open into the, uh, you know, what might be called the radiant explosion into body fullness, which is more in, in, in Shiva's realm. So there are some uh, traditional Buddhist practices, some Tibetan practices, specific practice out of Burma that are, that are very body oriented, that haven't lost touch with that. But the majority of the Dharma that's coming over here. Uh, uh, is is more oriented to what we would conventionally call mind than the awakening of, uh, uh, the, you know, this shimmer, this buzz, this vibratory uh, radiance of the uh, of the body. That's excellent. I, I like the way you describe that in just the terms that you have used. I want to ask you, since we're talking about spirituality here and utilizing this with meditation i wanted to ask you during your own personal experiences could you describe one of your deepest spiritual i would want to call it um experiences like what if you could describe for our audience what it's been like for you when you've achieved mm-hmm. your own individual spirituality and utilized marijuana what um what's been the most fascinating experience you can recall spiritually that you've that, that you've, that's interesting so in in conjunction with marijuana Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What comes up for me is, uh, uh, you know, for me, I, I was a guy I was, I, I'm not a body guy by birth. I was kind of, uh, uh, mindy creative. I played music. Right. And, but I wasn't an, any kind of athlete. So for me, uh, marijuana was a wonderful supporter of awakening, uh, body awareness. And then I started getting into my body and I started running and I, then I got into the somatics world. As I said earlier, uh, uh, Ida Rolf was, it was, and always has been, uh, you know, my, 
uh, you know, my primary teacher. And I would find, oh, I'd start doing yoga classes, and then I'd go home and do yoga on my own. Ah, oh, if I took a toke, wow, I like how the <laughs> doing hatha yoga, right? And I, I, I'm, I, I'm a musician as well. And uh, just it, this is just a quick digression. Uh, I lived and studied. I played guitar all my life. I lived and studied with a North Indian vena player in San Francisco for a couple of years. And I don't play that instrument, but those scales got into my bones. And uh, I tune, I usually tune the guitar in very open tuning, somewhat like a North Indian tuning. And my music teacher, his background, he would, he, he was in the employ of a Maharaja, a young Maharaja, and they became close and they'd go, he'd go, it was like a rock and roll lifestyle. They'd wake up at five in the afternoon and go into the temple and uh, play frankly, get high and play music all night long. And he said, that's his background. This was Shiva's music. And so that's been so for me as well. Uh, probably the most profound opening that I had that marijuana was very much a support for was the first day. And then, of course, all the sub subsequent practice through my life that uh, a great friend of mine and I, not knowing what we were doing, stumbled upon what I've come to realize or that what I refer to in terms of historical tradition was the gazing practice of the 13th century Sufi uh, mystic and poet Rumi. You know, most of us probably who are, you know, watching this or hearing this, you know, have heard of Rumi or read some of his poems. Uh, uh, it, it turns out that uh, you know, Rumi and Shams, they go off into a uh, retreat together. Nobody knows what they're doing. And it's supposed to be a great mystery in the Sufi world. But if you read the poetry, it's all over the place. So what they did, they sat down and they started looking at each other. Beginning and end of story. And when you do that, something starts happening. Body starts awakening. Uh... And, and for me, you know, marijuana can be very, very helpful for any activity that's primarily body-oriented, right? Uh, and not only does body awaken in a way that you're not familiar with, but you start entering into very, very different, but altogether natural dimensions of wide-open consciousness. Now, the first day that Phil and I were sitting at opposite ends of the sofa, and we were a little high, and all of a sudden we turned to look at each other. And, you know, we had each other's gaze. And we both looked away really quickly. And, and, you know, whoa, what was that? Phil said, why? Hey, wait a minute. What was that? What happened there? I said, I don't know. He said, well, yeah, why did we look away? And I said, well, when we hold, when I hold your gaze like this, I feel too much. He said, oh, I'm always grateful to him for this. He said, yeah, me too. What's wrong with that? And so we turned back and held each other's gaze you know, we were still uh, under, under the effect of the cannabis for the next hour. And in truth, I've never felt that my life has ever been the same after that hour. It was just an extraordinary parade. The visual field uh, uh, can go almost hallucinatory. Uh, the soft edges, the hard edges become soft. Colors come in form. The face of the person you're looking at can become a totally different face. You can feel different aspects of, of yourself. That, I'm thinking of that, that would probably have to go down as, uh, uh, you know, the top moment. Now, look, I've, I've explored that practice for the rest of my life. 
And, uh, and yes, that is a practice that uh, can, be, uh, can be supported very extraordinarily with uh, cannabis. I, in the 1990s, I don't teach that much anymore. I'm mostly interested in teaching the sitting practices. But in the 1990s, actually often in New York, I would come in and teach, <clears throat> you know, gazing uh, workshops. And to the best of my understanding, nobody there was walking in high on cannabis, but the practice goes very deep as well. But just to say this is one, all of you folks out there, for whom cannabis is an ally, uh, get a little high and get your best friend to just sit and look at each other. You may laugh hysterically. You may cry. You may want you know want to do anything but do that you may go into ecstatic states you may feel a lot coming up that you don't want to feel know that it's okay and go it's going to go extraordinarily deep i like that i um i want to ask you too for the average person listening to this right now who engages in <laughs> marijuana on occasion but hasn't necessarily found their spiritual side yet what kind right. of recommendation would you make with them because they're probably thinking in their mind well i'm halfway there I've engaged in cannabis, and so now what do I need to do to be spiritual? What recommendations would you make to them? You know, in some way, they are halfway there. And, you know, it's been interesting for me, Jason, because, again, as I say, I've definitely been an outlier in both the Buddhist and the Sufi worlds. I've never formally affiliated myself with any Sufi order or the Mevlevi order of dervishes that, that comes out of Rumi any more than I've affiliated myself with uh, a Vajrayana uh, lineage or one of the Theravadan or, or, or Zen, uh, Zen practices. But what, you know, what's been interesting is I've written a lot of books. That's just what happened for me. I wrote, uh, you know, I wrote all these books uh, and uh, in the beginning, they're mostly about, you know, helping, you know, find uh, comfort in your meditation posture. And through those initial books, I started getting a lot of Buddhist students and some Buddhist teachers who wanted to come visit me and talk to me and, you know, just kind of pick my brain. Uh, at the same time, when all the Rumi books came out, I started getting this, this whole other uh, uh, crew of characters that would sh show up on my doorstep, you know, these kind of delightful, bright-eyed, uh, mostly younger kids with dreads, and, and they're, they're just... Uh, they're just riding this ecstatic wave. And I, I, I had a lot of fun with both of those groups of people. Now, having said that, with the Buddhist teachers, I'd encourage them not necessarily to get high and dance, but I'd encourage them to start to come on loose. You gotta loosen it up. You know, you want you want to get the body moving, you know, go go start uh, every major city now in the Western world has these uh, ecstatic dance gatherings, right? Go there, start bringing that quality. You need to uh, balance to embrace the other half that you, you know, you, the austerity of your practices may, may, may uh, maybe shut the door on. And with, uh, you know, all the ecstatic, uh, uh, young Sufi-oriented characters, I would actually uh, urge them to sit down and do very basic fundamental mindfulness practices so they can ground their ecstasy. So in a sense, these are two halves, the Kalma Buddha, the ecstasy of Shiva, that I don't see as necessarily antithetical to one another, but as 
uh, complementary and completing, uh, completing the other. I like that. So one. yeah, the smokers, you've started that, but you got you got a lot of work to do. The people who've uh, done a lot of the foundational work, that's great, but there's some letting go to uh, happen. And believe me, I'm I'm not just talking from a from a high throne to everybody. I'm speaking to myself as well. Well, I think a good way of referencing is as a practitioner, everyone's on their own path and it takes a process to get to where they need to go. And I think what I like about what you're talking about during our episode is that it doesn't matter where you're at. It more in line, it matters what your concept is or your paradigm and how you employ it to achieve the spirituality in your own life and being closer to that. And I think that's what's, yeah. that's pivotal. Um, yeah. And, and it really is up to you. Now, now, again, you know, one of the distinctions that can be made with traditional Buddhist practices, you're given a technique, do it. When you get into the, the Shiva practices or practices that use uh, cannabis as an ally, really what you want to do is just let go. Let go and just see what happens. Go along for the ride. See where it takes you because there's something that gets stimulated that wants to maybe unwind itself, that wants to maybe uh, 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 just shift something. Wants to, oh, I'm in touch with some holding, tension in my body. I didn't even know I was holding there. Ah, let that go. So it's much more of a surrender oriented kind kind of thing but i do think that the instructions are 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 very good and then you just you just let the got to let go two two anecdotes about that one from uh, jerry garcia who would the grateful dead practice scales constantly people say god you're the you're the uh, you're the greatest guitar player in the world what are you doing all the scales he said well i want to have that on hand on those nights that for whatever reason, God just doesn't come down and sit on my shoulder, right? So you want to have the foundation to let go out of, right? My body uh, work teacher, Ida Rolf, she said she wanted us to know uh, basic anatomy, especially the uh, the, the myofascial, uh, the, the muscular and the skeletal systems, uh, backwards, forwards, inside out, upside down, and then forget everything we knew when we put our hands on a body and started to work with them. So it, it, it's like that. You want to learn, get some techniques, but then uh, uh, it, it was, I, I think I remember a story. Someone says, you know, you go to uh, a tailor to alter your clothes. The tailor doesn't say, I'm going to cut your legs off to fit your, fit your <laughs> pants. You, you, you adjust it. You suit it to yourself because ultimately, you know, I, I, and it, it is important. I'm not just saying this is sort of a platitude. You are your own teacher. Uh, you know, inside you is the information you need to know, the, uh, the wind that's, that's going to blow you in one direction over another. It's getting in touch with that, honoring it, and following it. And as, as I say, sometimes to me the Shiva path is like going on a, uh, on a float trip down, down a river of embodied soul. I you love know, that image. Uh, you know, it's great. It's great. Then you round a bend and oh my God, there's rapids that scare you silly, but you don't stop. You just keep going. You just keep going. You just keep going. And it will very much keep shifting. The way that uh, the body uh, heals itself 
it's layer upon layer upon layer and sometimes very, very different kinds of uh, kinds of things. It's always moving, always shifting. Let me ask you this. I'm looking at your, incorpor- your, your chapter that discusses yoga, meditation, and breathing. And I wanted to ask you if you could describe how you have incorporated the, the use of uh, marijuana cannabis into yoga, meditation, and breathing. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, yoga and uh, breathing are, e- are easier to, uh, you know, to talk about. Uh, you know, I was, uh, uh, God, I finished university. I was out in Berkeley, California. I went to the Integral Yoga Institute and did some Hatha yoga. I thought it was very, very cool. But it became clear to me that I didn't want to just keep going to practice, going to these classes. I wanted to do it on my own. And then, as I said earlier, when we were talking, one day I, well, why don't I have a talk and see what would happen? And that, too, was extraordinary. So, um, it, you know, my wife, who really has a much deeper yoga background than I do, uh, doesn't, uh, uh, she doesn't like uh, marijuana for her standing poses. But for me, it just helps me. Now, uh, I'm, I'm not that flexible. A, uh, a guy. So for me, the, you know, the cannabis helps me feel into the stiffness in my body. Now, what also then happens for me when I do yoga asanas, it's not so much, I, you know, you see photographs of a yoga asana in, in a book, and it's a still photograph. So you think, oh, the cobra pose, I just uh, uh, get on my tummy and push off with my hands and bend backward like a still photograph of a snake. And you, you do look like a still photograph of a human snake. And it's, it's not like that. You, uh, for me, when I'm high, I open there and, oh, I feel a stretch happening here and a movement happening here. And the next thing I know, my body might even be writhing a little bit. This is all natural. This is not, uh, oh, I'm going to do this. It's just letting go and you feel this you know, naturally happening. I remember my youngest son when he was about eight years old, he, he used to call, you know, the spontaneous movement stuff that I did in the way I did yoga, he would call it froggy practice. And I, I would talk to him about that. I said, hey, Jamie, look at this. Uh, here is a pose in yoga that's called the cobra pose. It's like a snake. Now, does it look more like this? And I went into a pose where, you know, I'm just reaching an extension and holding it there. Or does it look more like this? And I went up into it. The next thing I knew, my body, the spine was kind of writhing and moving. He said, that's the snake, Dad. So with, with, with the yoga that I, that I do, uh, it, it, a couple of things. First of all, I will, one of, one of the, the supports that I like about cannabis, it can help you get out of being stuck in your mind and being aware of the uh, sensational, literally sensational presence of the whole body. And... I always try to remember to keep feeling the whole of my body uh, rather than maybe just focusing on the part of the body that the particular asana is primarily stretching. So feeling the whole of the body, that can be very helpful. And then if there's any motions that want to occur to, uh, to allow that. Now, a lot of that uh, uh, it, it happens with the breath too. I also in yoga asanas really want to Feel this breathing very deeply that can go through the uh, whole body, letting go through the whole body that allows breath just to rush in. Really, the you know the letting go of this unconscious pattern of uh, 
of restriction that uh, it's it's an epidemic you know it's just an epidemic in uh, in our world now that the way we don't breathe the way we and it's so unconscious these patterns of holding we don't even uh, you know feel it anymore so you know breathing too and especially if you're using cannabis as a support, and if you're going to use it, we'll get to this in a minute, if you're going to use it in sitting practices, it becomes even more critical that uh, with the breath, we're going to be working on uh, uh, feeling into the places that are holding and restricting the breath and softening them, letting go through them, just a sudden letting go to allow what generally is a far larger breath to come through until maybe a deeper layer comes up and the breath shuts down again. But it's a liberation of the breath. Now, the Buddhas, I'll go back to the Buddhist tradition. Because uh, the Buddhist tradition starts with the Buddha telling people to observe the breath. And that's where the Buddhist world lives for the most part right now. That is not his culminating instruction on breath. Uh, the, he says in, in the next phase, just become, start becoming more aware, more aware, more subtly aware of the nuances and the shadings and the colorings. And then it ends in an altogether remarkable statement. As you breathe in, breathe in through the whole body. As you breathe out, breathe out through the whole body. Now, every 10th grader who's taken a, co uh, a course in human anatomy or biology knows that that's not what happens. But from an experiential point of view, we can start letting go of some of these restrictions. And then a breath comes that can move through the body very much like how a wave moves through a body of water. And this becomes even more critical if you're going to be doing sitting practices with cannabis. The sitting practices with cannabis, if people want to try those and want to explore those, I encourage you to use a very small amount. Uh, uh, you, you know, you're going to have to make those decisions on your own. But uh, to start off using a very small amount, because as the energies get uh, stimulated, you can get very, very high indeed. But use a very small amount. Now, you're not so much on the cushion focusing on the breath and refocusing. It's about an opening to awareness of the whole body, you know, awakening the whole body, ah, surrendering to the breath that wants to expand you, wants to contract you, expand and contract. And as deep areas of tension and reservoirs of holding come to the surface, the body may actually, as you're sitting there, start oh maybe maybe moving so that the sitting cushion for a shiva uh follower may be as much like uh like a dance or as much like just exploring a yoga posture the yoga of uh, uh the sitting yoga posture as it is a focused uh you know meditation but these are the kinds of things that if someone is drawn to uh cannabis that they could uh, that they could explore. Everybody has to make their own decisions about that. Absolutely, I I think the way that you're describing it in terms of it's I I feel there's an individual component to it that people should recognize that every single person is going to utilize this their own way, and each person who interprets your book will have their own experience with it. Should they choose to engage in what exactly. you're recommending, and I think that's phenomenal. I think you can't just give one person. Uh, the same prescription, for example, when I say his recommendation, as anyone else, we're all different individuals. And so what I like is the flexibility involved in this and the mm -hmm. fact that you're, a, you're, you're already acknowledging that 
in the way that you're mm -hmm. describing this. And I think that's that's critical for people to understand. Yeah. 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 Thank you for that. That does. That feels like a, a very, very important point, because we all those of us who've used cannabis, we've all had different experiences. For some of us, it makes us extremely creative. Uh, I'm a musician. It works for the kind of music that I play. Uh, uh, for others of us, we become ecstatic dancers. Oh, some other people become yogis and yoginis with, uh, you know, with, obviously related, but different. Some people uh, uh, like to play with, uh, uh, with the effect, the awakening effect, actually in sitting meditation postures. But do not expect to try to do a focused Buddhist meditation. It's totally different. You've got to let go and make it almost more like a surrendered dance. For other people, it'll be the gazing practices of Rumi that are so extraordinary. And that, that's actually a very, very easy place that anybody can start because within a few minutes, you're, a few minutes, sometimes 20 seconds, you're going to feel something. It's going to happen very, very quickly and directly. Other people, I've met uh, people that for them, it's about surfing, it's about uh, snowboarding, it's about skateboarding, it's about... Uh, it's about running. It's about doing Pilates. It's about uh, uh, it, it, you know all the different kinds of uh, bodily things, and, and everybody has to find that out for themselves. I'll just say people could use it for Netflix and chill. <laughs> they could they could use, yeah. utilize it and just sit there and enjoy their favorite program on TV and tune yeah. out for a little yeah. while and let the stresses of life go somewhere else and not necessarily Absolutely. have to be burdened. Absolutely. And that is not an illegitimate use. You know, you come back from a day and it's been so intense. It's like, Oh God, man, I just need a break. Let me just, let me just forget about this day. And it can, it can work that way. Now, uh, <laughs> as I say, that is not an illegitimate use of uh, of this sacrament it would not be my preferred one sure <laughs> absolutely it, it, you know in terms of <clears throat> you know really viewing your life as uh following some kind of spiritual trajectory that you know we're born and that we see oh my life is going to be about learning about opening up about growing about uh, uh exploring the inner recesses uh and then some of these other very, very specific uh, practices are going to are, are in, in the long run going to help you. But don't, don't think that I haven't uh, gotten high and watched a Netflix show. Uh, I'm sure with the society that we're in, in the United States, at least maybe a little different in Costa Rica, but the way society's going right now, I'm sure a lot of people have been doing that just to cope I, and adjust to what's been going on in, in our world. So, yeah, 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 no, you know, no kidding. I mean, things are very efficient in North America compared to where I live. <laughs> I love Costa Rica. I really do. And I, I definitely yeah, think it's one of the uh, most beautiful places. There's something different about, you know, as I say, my wife and I feel grateful every day of our lives that we're, that we live in nature. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it's such a support for our practices. I want to ask you, because we're running low on time, uh, if yeah. anybody wants to learn more about getting to know you better, where would they go? Do you have a website? Well, yeah, best, best place is a, is a website. It's www.embodiment.net, E-M-B-O-D-I-M-E-N-T. I'm probably one of the only people in the Western world that uh, – 
uh, steadfastly refused to take out a, a Facebook Facebook page. But I'm having a lot of people urge me to have more of a social media presence. We'll see if that happens or not. Okay, okay. And if they wanted to order your book, where would they go for that? Easiest place is uh, ideally at a local bookseller, but if not, through Amazon.com. Okay, great. I'm, I'm a big supporter for... Uh, for uh, local bookshops. Absolutely. Yeah, I think with Amazon, you can also get uh, get uh, get it on Kindle. Absolutely. The Kindle edition is great as well. I, last thing I want to ask you, if you were to summarize your personal experiences with this topic, spirituality and the use of cannabis, what would that description be in terms of if you were to try to tell someone that doesn't know anything about you? How would you summarize your personal experiences with this particular topic in one sentence to somebody and what's it's benefits okay. been for you. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> used judiciously and wisely, it can have an enormously uh, beneficial and supportive effect at waking up, waking up the experience of the body, waking up so that we realize what our mind is actually doing. So we become less robotic and more human at its best. Excellent. I want to thank you for coming on this afternoon and uh, doing this interview with me. I think just the fact that you've written this book is very encouraging. The implementation of utilizing marijuana and cannabis with exploring one's spirituality and spiritual path, I think can be very helpful for a lot of people. I encourage people to check out your book, find out more about you. And I just want to personally thank you for being on our show today. Yeah, well, you're, one, you're welcome, and two, thank you. This was fun to do this with you. Thank you so much. I definitely appreciate it. And if, if anything, uh, I look forward to having you on the show again and uh, okay. getting your opinions I on I enjoy seeing this. So uh, there's obviously many, many more things we could talk about. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, 
all in the Spanish remixes out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Electric acid.